on the record is brought to you by Steve and Adele Dufalo. San Antonio is a fast-growing, fast-moving city with something new happening every day. That's why each week we go on the record with Randy Beamer and the newsmakers who are driving this change. Then we gather at the Reporters' Roundtable to talk about the latest news stories with the journalists behind those stories. Join us now as we go on the record with Randy Beamer. Hi, everybody, and thank you for joining us for this edition of On the Record. I'm Randy Beamer, and this week we're going to talk about all things development in San Antonio, as well as looking into real estate and what could be a big change in that industry here, as well as across the country. But first, we are going to get an update on a headline you have seen recently about the Frostbank Center and the Spurs possibly moving downtown and what that would mean to the Frostbank Center and that area of the east side. The man to answer all those questions and maybe clear up some confusion about it is County Commissioner for Precinct 4, Tommy Calvert. Thank you very much for coming in. Happy holidays. Glad to be here. First of all, what are, you know, what's behind the headline in terms of whether Judge Sakai has talked to the Spurs about moving downtown or whether you have talked to different people about what that would mean because it's in your district uh, to the east side in the Alamo Dome or the Alamo Dome, the uh, Frost Bank Center, as well as downtown because you also represent downtown as well. So tell us what's really going on. How much talk has there been because the Spurs are still going to be there, at least the, uh, the lease is what, Nine 2032? Years. That's right. And you expect them to be there, that whole lease. Yes, we do. So, you know, we see ourselves as partners and we want to be helpful in thinking about what the future is with the Spurs going forward. Uh, we know that they are part of the soul of this city. And uh, the, the thing we're trying to prevent is a Las Vegas billionaire coming in and trying to take our team to Las Vegas or some other big place. And so we're going to be cooperative partners. And so I represent both downtown and the east side. And I think um, we haven't had, I mean, for, for all of us, I think it's quite early. And sometimes we feel as if the press is getting clickbait on a slow news day because, no. yeah, not them, uh, because it is nine years away. You'll have a new mayor. You'll have a new city manager. You'll have a new commissioner's court. So it is quite premature. Well, some people might see the headline and think, well, the Spurs have talked to Eric Walsh. They've talked to Sky, yourself, that they're looking to do to get out of that lease before 2032. That's not the case? I think they're looking at their options. And I think, you know, there are a variety of options that are on the table for them. And so they've got to kind of figure out, you know, where does the chess play? And for us at the county, we're not going to say a whole lot about it because it, it, it doesn't make sense until we really have some concrete proposals. We can we can think and we can do some projections and in terms of finances and, and so on and so forth. But um, those conversations, I think, without the community input, um, are going to fail in terms of the economic development. But to get community support for what likely would be public money for a $1 billion project downtown to replace the Frost Bank Center, do they have to strike while the iron is hot? And Wembenyama, you would think in the next couple of years, is going to be the hottest iron they could get right now, and that, that they will <laughs> use that leverage to push for money now rather than later and to build it now. Rather the, than the Frost Bank Center was built with the community's money through the venue tax and it is a community arena venue. So the first loyalty is about a long-term investment in the kind of amenities that we will have in our community and we need places for concerts and ball games and different um, events as an arena would have. 
So, you know, let's just think about it in a level way that these are the kinds of things we will have as a, you know, one of the largest counties in the United States. Um, but I think going forward, we have to bring in the local community to deal with the traffic issues that are going on. Uh, it is completely incorrect that economic development isn't happening on the east side. It's happening everywhere but around the Coliseum. And that's because the traffic pattern put together by SAPD puts cones that push you out like you're at a hazmat event. Um, unfortunately, people cannot get to the restaurants and bars nearby. George Gerben himself told me he had a restaurant in the Willow Springs Golf Course. He said, Tommy, nobody could get to my restaurant because the cones and the SAPD pushing people away. Uh, we have small business people at the Andy across the street um, who want to have coffee shops and restaurants and bars. I've put $500,000 in this budget uh, for a business accelerator for restaurants and bars for the restaurants that have endured through the years of crime and blight and the lack of economic well, people opportunity. People might think, okay, they come off people. of I-35, they go down AT&T Center Parkway, if it's still called that, and there's not much, as they see, except for parking to the right, maybe some industrial, and industrial to the left, as well as the golf course. Yeah. There is more than that that they're not seeing that they could turn off of if they didn't. Well, yeah, I mean, they can't literally get there because the cones block you from getting into, uh, you know, Ball Hogs uh, Barbecue Restaurant or George Gervin's Old Place or the Andy, which has restaurants. And some and of these are south shops. of the AT&T. They're South in Boston. every direction. And so um, you don't have that in the Victory Park where the Dallas Mavericks play. You don't have that. Uh, in Las Vegas, uh, which is where the strip is, and the sphere is 18,000, and YouTube plays. I just went there, took some video, and you don't have the kind of directional coning away of the area like you're at a hazmat event, like you do in San Antonio. I don't even think you have it at the Alamo Dome, quite frankly. Um, and you don't have it at the um, the the uh, Staples Center in Los Angeles. Uh, you you have like 24 restaurants and bars and. and the Grammy Museum and hotels in that area. And as you know, that area is less dense. So I think the first way to get economic development is to stop the blockade of traffic so that people can meander in the neighborhood. And so you want to get that development going now, no matter what happens eventually to the Frostbank well, Center. The first thing do you expect that in 2032 it won't be home to the Spurs? In, in a week, I'll have a meeting with the council person and the state rep uh, to brief them. And it's not only about getting the traffic cones removed by SAPD, um, but it's also about, we have to begin to think about what might happen if they move downtown. Um, and, and so we're going to have our own plan and it's going to be community centered and, and we're going to have certain things that we, you know, we, we, I don't think we want uh, like an Astrodome carcass left over. I think that's a, a, one of the starts. Um, but the Coliseum grounds is 180 acres and we would certainly uh, make a lot of revenue at the county off that 180 acres. But I think there's also still a great shot at the Spurs staying there because when you take the Willow Springs golf course out of the floodplain, you then have 400 acres of green space between the Coliseum and Redberry Mansion that could have hotels, restaurants. And if you take it out of the floodplain with an $80 million tunnel for a plan I have called River So there'd be a tunnel go through there and then that land would be usable of the where plain. it is. That's correct. It would, be, it would be usable and developable. And I I've offered the ownership of the Spurs first dibs at that. So we haven't left 
uh, that particular conversation yet. I think they need time to weigh it. One of the things we're going to have to do is fair tax policy. I don't believe that gentrification and rising tax rates should force people who are good residents of the east side out of the neighborhood. And that's one of the reasons why I put, uh, I had the opportunity to begin that tunnel right away, but we didn't have the right tax, proper, uh, tax policy in place to protect the residents. I think we can do something with heart in terms of development and, and not just push people out by higher taxes. And, and I think the Spurs could be a part of that. How far away is that? How would that be funded? An $80 million tunnel. Yeah, so we have a capital improvement program at the county. Uh, there's also the bonds coming up for the city of San Antonio in the future. So it would be, I think, a dual uh, effort. Um, but um, I think we also have to, to look at other, other options that they're weighing. And, and we do want to keep the spurs in San Antonio. So we're going to be good partners. For and that. you have talked to County Judge Peter Sakai, yeah. uh, some of the stories when I, when I, that you haven't. Told. When I talked to the judge, he didn't, the impression I had was this story was ahead of its skis. And so um, uh, we actually went to the Coliseum and talked, you know, talked about uh, thinking about a variety of options. And um, so we did that together. Um, so I don't know if the paper just was kind of ignoring my leadership in that meeting. Or I don't really understand. And we're not probably going to find out as much as we would like to in terms of the public because some of it you say is negotiations and that has to be done kind of behind closed well, doors. Well, first of all, people hear that and they go, wait a minute, I for, want to know what's going on. First of all, under the law, we have a contract with the Coliseum, excuse me, with the Spurs. And so when you start doing things on the side, that's called torturous interference. And we know where the courthouse is. So we don't want to get into that. We want to honor the contract and we want to know what our options are, but we don't want our contract interfered with. So um, I think that we will have a very healthy, uh, good spirited conversation um, we don't blink an eye with respect to the enhancements, but I think they could be in a variety of places. But I obviously uh, would love to see the economic development that was promised finally realized. And that's why we're putting in things like the accelerator. And that's why I have, I have uh, you know, been the bootleg developer of the east side, getting it to change uh, for the better, but we still have to get fair tax policy. Do you have to have development on the east side in around the Frostbank Center happen before you could get public buy-in for any public money for a downtown? I, I think arena? it. I think it. I think it should work that way. I think that that is a very um, logical thing. That if you if you're if you're thinking about going downtown, if you're the Spurs from a political standpoint, um, they need to work with us on getting those cones removed with the SAPD, and they need to help the small businesses in the area and hire. people people from the area. What's next? What's the timeline? We're about out of time here, but in terms of what we're going to hear about officially with you, the Spurs, downtown businesses, real estate. I think what's next is the business accelerator for restaurants and bars at the Andy. Um, and I think uh, several years down the road, we begin the really more concrete when we really kind of know what the leadership's going to look like at the city and the county. Um, in about three years' time, I think, is when those conversations get a little bit more cute. Well, thanks very much. Keep us up to date on whether or not it's, I don't want to say clickbait, but all the stories involving the Spurs, the Frost Bank Center. How many times can we get that? We'll wrong? keep it real. You all got right. it. Merry Tommy Christmas, Keller, everybody. Commissioner of Precinct 4. Thanks. Thank you. Now we're going to talk business all around San Antonio and a group that you've heard about for a long, long time that is kind of retooling its branding and what it is going to do for San Antonio, for all of us. 
Joining us to talk about that now is the brand new president and CEO of the Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce, Jeff Webster. Thank you very much for coming in. Glad to be here. Randy. And Thanks. I should mention former city councilman years ago, not yep. years ago, District 10, as well as you've worked for a number of engineering firms. You are part of the uh, Mobility Council. Uh, San of San Antonio. And tell us about the difference now. The Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce used to be named that up until about 10, 11 years ago. Dropped the Greater. Now it brought the Greater back. What's the new focus of the Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce? There's a lot of changes and different chambers yeah. here. No, you know, there's been a lot of changes in the chamber world here in San Antonio period. But the Greater San Antonio Chamber really is kind of what's old is new and what's new is old was the phrase I would kind of apply to it. We're doing the things we've always done. We're, going, we're just going to brand it back to what we were doing. There's a phrase the Greater Chamber had, which I always loved, is we're doing things that other people think just happen. And what I mean by that is sometimes you don't have to worry about who gets credit or what you're doing. It's doing things on the betterment of our business community, the betterment of our city, trying not to make sure that the uh, elected officials create uh, impediments to success and economic growth here in our community. And there are all these changes in this San Antonio area, uh, chambers, the South and West Chamber, uh, they combined to the right. South Texas, I'm not sure even of the name, in Austin, one of their, part of their chamber split off. There is also now Greater SATX, which is not a chamber, which is probably confusing here for a lot of you. Why so many changes to chambers and why do you need to retool it? What was it missing? When you look at chambers of commerce, there's always been the question, what's the relevancy today? And I think that's a very fair question. Things have changed of how the communication of message used to be done with the chambers. It was always in a breakfast or a coffee. Now these things are done at breakfast and coffees at City Hall, the county commissioner's office. The new element is social media. What are you communicating on social media? So many of our young entrepreneurs get their news and information off social media. And I think a lot of the chambers or business organizations have missed that element. The rise of young entrepreneurs, free enterprise, new businesses, it's exploding. So what are the misconceptions that some of those potential members have, as well as the rest of us, about Chambers of Commerce, what you do and what you don't do? Well, I'll give you an example. Just this week, uh, CPS is doing their, their rate increase conversation. So we've been working with CPS and the city behind the scenes, talking about excess revenues at the city, how that gets spent in the future, this rate increase, that the commitments will be toward resiliency and investment and making sure we all had that wonderful winter storm a few years ago. We don't have those same experiences and trying to make sure that the, our utility here has appropriate investments to protect us and protect the resiliency for what we need. Now that works for us as a consumer. It also works for our business community. When Greater SATX and Jenna and her team are out recruiting businesses to come to San Antonio. Jenna is the head of the Greater SATX Jenna Salcedo, that they're able to talk about surety, surety of power, surety of resiliency of power. We've got Robert Puente and Sauls, what they're doing with this rate increase is trying to make sure, I mean, at CPS is trying to make sure we have resiliency. Sauls did some things with Vista Ridge, surety of water. We are a growing community, but if we're not protecting at the core, water and power, we're gonna have problems. There are some, still some groups here. You still have the Greater San, or yes, San Antonio Hispanic Chamber and yeah. the North San Antonio Chamber, which was, there were talks to, to merge that group into yours, right. but they said, no, they wanted to stay focused on what they were doing. They have 1,200 members and they wanted to be more of a main street 
business. Yeah. How do you see yourselves different than those groups? Well, you know, it's an interesting combination. I've been involved over the years with virtually everyone, you know, the Hispanic Chamber, I've been involved the Greater Chamber, I've been involved in the, in the North Chamber, and they're all just a little bit different. And the, the Greater Chamber historically has been the leader and out front uh, on the big issues, the big tactics. Uh, we've got a great mix of small businesses, medium and large businesses here in our community. But given the history, I, I, would, I would love you, I should have bring it sometime, the pictures, you go down the hallway, back into the 1800s with the chamber. This chamber's been leading the way for a long time. And I think the historical nature, the North Chamber started really to advocate for the, the medical foundation area, the medical, medical uh, city part of town over there on the hill, and it's expanded, and they do a great job. And I, I wouldn't have been involved if it didn't. But we're really tackling every day the big issues of protecting what's happening with our city and the county. It's great to have partners like our North Chamber and Hispanic Chamber and the Asian Chamber. There's several chambers. Somewhat, I would call it, no different from all the school districts we have in town. And nationally, some of the th same things are happening. But also, some, I guess you would say, of the MAGA Republicans, even here in Bear County, have, have uh, really disparaged Republicans as chamber Republicans, almost like rhinos Republicans, yeah. and saying that that is not a good thing. You know, they look down on that. What would you tell people who who have heard, oh, they're chamber Republicans, yeah. which isn't what we used to hear. It used to be establishment, business, whether or not it was a Republican or not, right. chamber. Well, you know, I think that's, I always thought that was an interesting kind of analogy because when I talk to folks and you ask them, do you like having a job in San Antonio? Do you like our quality of life in San Antonio? Do you like our surety of power and water? You know, the biggest thing we've got in San Antonio is our quality of life. We are different. If you take the top 10 largest cities, the quality of life we have is very different. This is such a family-oriented town. And I, I think to apply to say the MAGA group, well, I would ask you, are, are you against making things better? Are you against public safety? Are you against the growth and the jobs for that next generation? You know, the Chamber's here to try and create a place for businesses to grow, our community to grow, a safe community, and we're going to do those things. And I don't think it ties into either party. We've got involvement in our Chamber from both parties, and the changes is being evolving and being part of, for example, the social media side of it. That's not traditional Chamber area. And sharing those messages and understanding you got, you know, 180 words, or you got three minutes on a reel, and those kind of things to communicate a message. Before we started talking on camera here, you were saying that one of the things that you do and uh, is not just to maybe point the city in the right direction, but to keep them from doing dumb things. Uh, I think that was how you put it. Oh, Tell exactly. us about that. Well, you know, as a former elected official, I can, I can say sometimes the city with good intention or a county or even a federal agency comes with rules and regulations that don't always wind up with good outcomes. The intent was good, it was to prevent or help, but then all of a sudden it came with long delays in getting permits, uh, cost in getting permits, losing projects because you're difficult to do business with. There are communities in Texas that have a hard time growing because their city or county is very difficult to do business with. We don't want to be that community. We're not going to lay down, but we don't want to be difficult. And finally, real quick, are you going to get into issues like whether the Spurs should move from the AT&T or Frost Center to downtown, if there should be tax money in that, that kind of thing? Absolutely. We'll be involved in all the big subjects here in town because it's important because it's about economic development. When I was wrapping up my career at City Hall as a, as a councilman, was right as the new arena conversation was happening. So I've been involved in this for the last 20 some odd years. So I understand what that development means to downtown, 
or the north side or the south so side. it's deja vu all over It again. is deja vu, but it's about economic development. It's the quality of life of the Spurs, but economic development. Well, good luck with all that. Thank you very much for coming in. Jeff Webster, new president and CEO of the Greater San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. Thanks. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. On Reporters Roundtable this week, we're talking some potential changes in the real estate industry after a big lawsuit and now some copycat lawsuits targeting some people in San Antonio. Joining us to tell us all about that is Madison Isler, staff writer for the San Antonio Express News, focusing on business. Thank you very much for coming in. Now, you wrote this story recently on the National Association of Realtors being sued and a big judgment against them that I guess is kind of on hold, $1.8 billion. And then some copycat lawsuits. Tell us about that and how it could affect, could down the road affect San Antonio. Yeah, so in the wake of this big $1.8 billion verdict against the National Association of Realtors, two sellers in North Texas have filed a pretty similar lawsuit against the San Antonio Board of Realtors and a bunch of other real estate associations and brokerages here in Texas. And the crux of that lawsuit is really a long-standing practice involving sellers paying the commissions of both buyer's agents and seller's agents. 3% each, so you have 6%. It's kind of standard, has been standard, and they say... These days, especially with the web, you can find a seller you shouldn't have to pay. Yes, they're saying they're paying too much and that these real estate groups and brokerages have essentially conspired to inflate what they're paying. They say in a more competitive market, wouldn't be paying as much. And also that they feel pressured to accept a higher commission out of concerns that perhaps buyers, brokers might not show their houses to clients, which of course would affect their ability to sell their homes. And when people hear headline, $1.8 billion against the National Association of Realtors, it's basically on hold right now. Yes. And the lawsuit here in Texas is working its way through the court. Yes, exactly. Yes, the $1.8 billion verdict could potentially triple, but NAR is appealing it, as are some of the other defendants. And so it remains to be seen how things will shake out. But it could have quite a few effects on the industry. There are concerns among buyers, sellers, and agents just about what this will mean for typical practices. And one of the defendants here is the San Antonio Board of Realtors, as well as some specific individual realtors realty companies. Yes, that's correct. Yes. The San Antonio Board of Realtors hasn't commented yet on the case. They've said they're still reviewing it. But another defendant in the case is essentially the same group in Dallas-Fort Worth. And they've said, we agree with NAR's practices. We think that this benefits buyers and sellers. And they've basically told their members, you need to explain how these transactions. Well, that's the thing. What are their arguments uh, in defense of the practice? They say that the way that this is structured benefits both the buyer side and the seller side because there are services that both are getting in this transaction. And they also point out 6% is standard, but it's negotiable here in Texas. It doesn't have to be 6%, but that is the typical structure. And on the other side, the arguments now uh, with more people involved in the web and being able to find things on the web, that argument is yes. that we shouldn't have to pay because I, as a buyer, don't need a representative? Yes, yes, because a lot of buyers are doing at least some of the work themselves. Agents, of course, argue against that and say, well, we provide a lot of services from negotiating with sellers or buyers, depending on which side they're on, to dealing with things that might come up in the buying or selling process, title issues, 
or showings or the like, but a lot of buyers are handling that on their own. And so one of the effects of this case, depending on how it shakes out, is that more buyers could forego representation and negotiate themselves, or commissions could be lower. And this doesn't really have anything to do with what you hear sometimes from realtors as they want to emphasize that name that they have to go through an accreditation process, whereas others called real estate agents but who aren't, don't have that accreditation are different, but they get the same, generally, that same 3% and 3%. Yes, that's correct. So it would affect them, um, but there's really no difference between those. They're suing the realtors, basically. They're suing the real estate groups and brokerages, not the individual realtors, but the real estate groups and brokerages. Do you have any idea of the timeline of this kind of lawsuit, how long it would take to work, how long that $1.8 billion uh, would be actually levied against the NAR and, and how that would shake out? It's unclear at this point with the $1.8 verdict how long that appeals process will take. And with a local case too, that's still very much winding its way through the courts. And some of the agents I've talked to have said that because of that, they're basically in a wait and see type of position. So as you're keeping an uh, eye on this, you also have a story recently about Toyota and what's going on, a little controversy around the Toyota plant in South San Antonio. Tell us about that. Yes, a landowner on the south side near Toyota's plant is suing both the city and Toyota essentially over development around the plant. A 2003 agreement that Toyota and the city hashed out involves a buffer zone, a three-mile buffer zone around the plant that essentially discourages residential development and other uses that Toyota might deem incompatible with its plant. This landowner wants to sell part of his land to a developer to build affordable housing, but the city said, no, you can't rezone your land to allow for that development. They want suppliers, or they have always reserved that area, thought of that as having suppliers because their just-in-time philosophy is having uh, supplies just in time. That's why they want, want them there, right? Yes, yes. There are quite a few suppliers around Toyota's plant, but single-family homes have also been built within that buffer zone, actually by this landowner. And so his contention is that this, basic, this agreement basically gives Toyota veto power over what can be developed around the plant. And he's saying, I would like to build this at a time when the need for affordable housing is really increasing in San Antonio. All right. Well, we can uh, read all about it. Madison Isler in the San Antonio Express News, staff writer who focuses on business. Thank you very much. And before we leave, we also wanted to congratulate one of our own right here at KLRN on the crew, Mauro Castro, who is also the winner of three Latin Grammy Awards. Congratulations. Wow. Okay, now don't, don't get too big ahead now that you have won the Latin Grammys. Congratulations to Mauro Castro. And thank you very much for joining us for this edition of On the Record. You can see this show again or any shows. Always, you can download the podcast at klrn.org, and we'll see you next time. is brought to you by Steve and Adele Dufalo.